This was recorded live at Trinity Church in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to trinitypr.org. Um, we are concluding our sermon series on Ephesians today. Uh, we're going to be in the last few verses of chapter 6. Uh, we've been in Ephesians for a number of weeks. Uh, and today uh, we're going to be talking about this idea and kind of summarizing all of Paul's thoughts uh, concerning the Christian faith, how we're supposed to live and act in the world. And the thing is, Paul kind of uses this language um, in Ephesians and in other places that describes it as like we're waking up. Actually, at the beginning of the book, he describes it as passing from death to life, being made alive again. Like we could do absolutely nothing, but now we have a life within our flesh and bones. And so uh, as I was thinking through kind of uh, this particular passage, this is the armor of God, and, and some of you have probably heard it before. I know I have many, many times. And so it's a familiar passage in that sense, but I was thinking about what about it, uh, what about it is Paul trying to communicate when he says, you need these weapons, you need this armor to exist in the Christian life, because there's, there's a greater reality going on than you once realized. Now, I'm sure... Most of you have seen The Matrix. And if you have not, it is a movie where uh, this computer hacker uh, is awakened uh, to uh, this big lie that has been going on and has been uh, created by an evil cyber intelligence that has kind of enslaved the human race. Uh, kids, ask your parents before you watch The Matrix. <clears throat> it's an old enough movie at this point, but still. And in this movie, his entire world transforms if you've seen it. It transforms so much as he has to like wake up and realize all these different areas of his life that he now has to reconsider uh, what is really true. Even so, when he's learning how to fight, they're like downloading the computer uh, like fight programs into his brain, uh, and then he's like breathing hard. Uh, and Morpheus, his teacher, is, uh, it looks looks really closely at him. And he goes, "Do you think that's air you're breathing?" Everything about his life had to change when this transformation happened with taking the red pill. And you know, uh, The Matrix is, is, is not at all a Christian story, um, but the Bible describes very much a similar reality when we are transformed by the Holy Spirit. Everything about our life now has to be reconsidered. Everything about it now has to be shifted, to be transformed, to be seen for what it really is. And in our passage today, Paul talks about three different things that are going to have to change, transform by the power of the Holy Spirit in our Christian life. He's kind of summarizing all of Ephesians and these three things are going to be that we have to understand who our enemy really is, what the best armor and weapons really are, and what the purpose of our life really is. These are going to be our three points today, the things that we need to be uh, awakened to and consider in the transformation of our lives. And I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word, which comes from Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. <clears throat> Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, 
and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This ends the reading of God's word, that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. May he bless it for you and for me. Please be seated. So we're exploring today this idea of what we need to reconsider in our lives. And we need to reconsider who our enemy really is, our armor and our weapons, and also uh, the end or the purpose of our life. So first is our enemy. Chapter 6, verse 10, it says, We're to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Verse 11, we are to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You know, uh, so before we're Christians, uh, we, we don't necessarily think per se of ourselves having enemies, but if we're forced to kind of think about it uh, in, in sort of an analogical sort of way, we're like, well, I have some enemies. Sometimes it's myself. Like, I want to be better. I want to improve some things in my life. I've got some self-improvement goals. I want to accomplish. Uh, but sometimes we think it's the competition, you know, whether it's another business or just another person, like they're, they're my enemy. They're the one I'm going after. Uh, sometimes we have people that have harmed us or the things like this. This is who we would describe as our enemies. There's also just struggles and injustices in the world that we experience, also called our enemies. But when we, when we become Christians, sometimes here's what happens. Our language starts to change and we hyper-spiritualize everything. And I wonder if you've had the tendency to do this. You know, I'm just, I'm being tempted by the devil right now. There's a demonic force of oppression over me. Um, we, we have all of these kind of spiritual ways of now reinterpreting everything that we're seeing. And in some sense, that's what Paul is talking about. But I think we actually go a, a, a little too far. And I'd encourage us to come back towards the middle. So here's what, here's what I'm going to do. In Christian theology, and I've mentioned this before, there's the three general ways that we talk about being tempted. Specifically, we talk about temptation, the people who tempt us are our enemies. The devil tempts us. Demonic forces tempts us. The Bible does not shy away from their reality. The world tempts us. The world, uh, as we collectively get together, we have this profound ability to group think, to tell ourselves that something must be right. And because we all believe it, it all ends up being true, at least it seems, until the Bible challenges that assumption. And we're forced to reconsider what truth really is. The devil, the world, ourselves. Even being left apart from the world and apart from the devil, we ourselves, the evil within our hearts because of the fall, would crop up to spring up with sin. The desires of our own heart is contrary to the Word of God. Now, I bring these up quickly because part of being transformed by the Holy Spirit is seeing how these three things can't be so neatly separated into simply physical or simply spiritual categories, but that the devil, the world, and ourselves work together in this trifecta, uh, this, this kind of uh, cocktail of deception. Our enemy, it's not just the devil, 
Our enemy is not just the world. The enemy is not just ourselves. We can't reduce them to either of these things. We can't just think that the problem is purely spiritual that the pro- that, and that our world is fine and that we're fine. If, just, if the devil was gone, that it, that it would be fine and we'd all be okay. We can't just say that it's the world's problem and everything out there is, is just the issue. And if the world were to go away, then like we're, we have power over the devil and I know I'm holy, so we're good. All three of these things work together. The lust that Christians are trying to put to death are often greatly ignited by the creativity of our world and reinforced by the evil one and his servants themselves. Of course, giving kind of a spiritual backdrop to the struggle that Christians have against an enemy uh, is not unique to Christianity. Other world religions attach spiritual reality behind dark and evil things, like with spirits within us or something like that. So what exactly about Christianity is unique? Look back at verse 10. We are strong against this enemy in the strength of his might. What Paul is acknowledging in this letter is that we don't have the strength to fight any of these enemies on our own. Paul's already said this in other parts of our letters. If you've been with us uh, for a while going through Ephesians, this is nothing new. You remember when we walked through the passage that said you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You have nothing within you that is able to withstand even your own deceitful desires. You do not have the power to stand up to the devil. Just um, one commentator put it this way um, concerning the devil. The devil has had thousands of years of experience across every culture and language to scheme, plot, and plan against humankind. Despite all of humanity's knowledge of itself, our bodies, and our psyches, the devil knows more. This transformation that we experience by the power of the Holy Spirit, bringing us from death to life, actually wakes us up to the reality that the devil is very strong, and we never had the strength within ourselves to fight him to begin with. We needed someone else's strength. What about the world? Do we have strength within ourselves to to push back against the world, to find truth within ourselves maybe, if we could just find truth? I don't know if you've ever had the experience of being deceived, of believing something so profoundly and then realizing that it was all fake. The world has this power to do this. And the sad part is that many of us in this room, I would say all of us in this room, buy into it in significant ways. Here's what I mean. We try to put a Christian spin on worldly ends. We say, if I could just be successful, if I could just make a bunch of money, then this will somehow uh, earn me a spiritual benefit in the afterlife. I'll do it unto God. I'll play by the same rules that the world is playing by, but in name, I'll give lip service to God. We want the same thing that the world wants because the world has so profoundly shaped the way that we think that we're blind that these desires aren't even good in and of themselves. So Paul, in the summary of this document, is going to teach us what's good, and when we get to the weapons, we're going to see uh, just how deeply we confuse ourselves. But for now, I'm going to move on to maybe ourselves, right? So the the devil is more powerful than we thought. The world uh, is more uh, deceiving than we thought. Ourselves are more deceiving than we thought as well. Perhaps the most painful transformation that must happen in the Christian life is the transformation that realizes that I cannot trust myself. Rosemarie Miller, a commentator, says it this way, the first real enemy in your life is always your own unsubmitted self-life. 
To struggle against your own agendas and passion is at the heart of spiritual warfare. The heart of spiritual warfare is to struggle against your own agendas and patterns. The one who hates you without compromise is the real enemy. He's always the power of darkness. Wherever there is self-praising pride, the devil has much, much influence. I don't know about you, but if I give it enough reflection, I see a lot of self-praising pride in my life. And if what she says is true, then the devil must have much, much influence. Even over my own desires. We don't have what it takes to transform ourselves. We don't have the strength within us. Our enemy is not purely physical, nor is it purely spiritual. It's not simply self-help. The first thing that Christians must do in their transformation of waking up into this new world that we're in is to realize that we actually have no strength to help ourselves and are utterly dependent upon someone else. Okay, so in the first part of our transformation, we have to recognize the seriousness of the enemies and our dependence upon someone else. But there's another part of our transformation that has to do with the armor and weapons that we have. We need to understand what these truly are. Look with me at verse 13. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and a shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You know, I've heard a lot of sermons uh, on this passage and I actually, I heard a lot as a kid. And I don't know if any of you had this experience maybe as a kid if you grew up in church, uh, but I had uh, a Sunday school teacher that had kind of like, you know, the plastic uh, soldiers, uh, like Roman, Roman soldiers uniform and it has the belt and it was like labeled truth. You know, it was like a breastplate and it had like a little sticky note on it. It was like righteousness and salvation. And you know what? What like a beautiful picture of the gospel. Whatever strength I have in my faith today is due to faithful teachers who creatively and tangibly taught me that God did not abandon me, but gave me armor against the things that I would face in my life. But as I've grown up, I've also realized, and and I knew then as a kid, like this is not a real sword. This is a plastic sword. This this is not actually going to do anything for me, right? Uh, And so as adults, we also realize that he's not actually talking about real swords here. He's talking about something else, and he defines what they are. But i got to be honest with you, I think if we actually look at this list, which we're about to do, I don't think we think that any of these actually protect us. Do you think the truth protects you? Like, 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 do you long to tell the truth in your life? Or if the opportunity comes for you to, like, budge the information a little so that you look better, do you do you do that? Or just flat out lie. Pilate could ask Jesus at the crucifixion, what is truth? And if that doesn't describe our culture today, I don't know what does. I think many of us embody that skepticism a little bit. What, what, what is truth? Is it actually armor that God has given me? What about righteousness? Can we even know what righteousness is? Are we really behaving like Jesus would? What about in our political climate Would he be fighting for the same things or in the same ways that we are? Are we righteous not only with our ends, but also with our means? 
Because I think what happens with righteousness is kind of this idea that, um, you guys have heard the phrase, nice guys finish last? I think we assume righteous guys finish last. Stumbled over that a little bit, but I think you got it. Righteous guys finish last. We can look at this ability to be righteous while someone is watching as a blessing. But if nobody's watching, we'd be like, that's just naive. Do what you got to do, man. What about the readiness to share the gospel of peace? Do any of us feel ready to share the gospel? I think we tend to be more reluctant, almost trying to avoid it at any cost. Here's what's crazy about this. I think uh, sometimes uh, when, we, when we're thinking about sharing the gospel, usually we describe it in terms that are very vulnerable, right? I'm, I'm about to be very vulnerable. I'm putting a lot on the table here. I'm showing my cards. I'm doing something, right? We get a little shaky in the knees. Um, and the way that the Bible is describing this here is that you're actually more vulnerable if you neglect sharing the gospel. If you're running around rocky soil in a battle, you're basically taking your boots off. And you're saying, I don't need these. My feet will be just fine. Do we really think that sharing the gospel is something that protects us, makes us stronger, gives us faith, helps us to see the world for what it really is? Or do we think it makes us more vulnerable? What about the shield of faith? So that we can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, I like this imagery. I think it's because many of us would describe our recurring sins in this way. I've talked to many people, I myself thinking about those sins that come up in our lives over and over and over again that we're trying to fight. And we're trying to build barriers and do it right. Um, and yet, it seems like every single time, uh, almost, almost silent, almost unseen, the dart gets in and just hobbles us. Right in between the chinks of our armor. We just can't quite seem to get it right. And then we wonder about our faith. Man, the shield of faith, is, is my faith strong enough to stop these flaming darts? What about the helmet of salvation? Helmets protect your most important and in many ways your most vulnerable organ. Uh, that if you hit it too hard on something, it can actually just change who you are as a person. A lot of us, uh, if we think about the imagery of the darts, right? A lot of us are worried about the darts coming in. Um, but a lot of us consider our sins before we commit them. A lot of us think about, I shouldn't say this to my spouse or my children, and we say it anyway. A lot of us think I shouldn't open my computer right now, and we do it anyway. This is akin to taking off your helmet and banging it up against a wall. We have disregarded how costly salvation was and we put at risk the very thing that controls our spiritual lives when we consider sin and choose it anyway. The final piece of armor that we get is actually kind of a weapon, right? It's a defensive and offensive weapon as the sword, but it's God's word. Let's be honest, I know this is going to sound real cheesy. I'm bracing you for it, okay? We might all pack a nine millimeter, but very few of us take time to pack God's word in our hearts, minds, and souls. We have much more faith in the strength of our firearms than we do in the strength of God's word to defend and offend for us. A lot of us are willing to go to bat real hard for our firearms. I don't necessarily see the same sort of devotion towards the greatest weapon that we've ever been given. 
Because of course what we want as we read this list, they're like kids, Zach, going, these aren't real weapons. These are plastic. What are these going to do for me? We live in a real world with real dangers. I need real armor. I need a real weapon. My firearm, at least I see immediate intangible results. The word of God, I'm going to be honest, hardly ever do you see immediate intangible results. God works on a time horizon that is way bigger than ours. Paul is using imagery here to try to spark our imagination. But if you reflect at all on this, you just realize that it's so mundane, so boring, so regular. We wish that God would say that our weapons to win this war were going to be um, offensive maneuvers and tactical thinking. We want God to give us secret weapons, secret visions, dreams in the night, profound words for the moment when we're talking with a friend. We want God to put us in the rooms where big decisions are made. We want weapons to be political. We want the weapons to be economical. We want the weapons to be militaristic. But these aren't the kinds of weapons that God uses. In fact, God rarely gives weapons like these, even in the Old Testament. Because I know what you're thinking. You're like, oh, there's a, there's a big part of the Bible that has a lot of militaristic action. Even to the soldiers in Israel, he say, he'd say that he would send bees ahead of them to drive the people out of Canaan. Instead of a bloody fight at Jericho, God told them to march around it for seven days with trumpets singing. And honestly, the best rendition of this is the VeggieTales version. If you have not seen it, you need to because they're throwing slushies and it's amazing. Moses isn't given a sword. He's given a staff in his hands. The Hebrews aren't given swords either. They're told to walk on a dry seabed to trust in the words of God and in his, the strength of his might, not in the strength of their own might. Now, of course, a soldier needs armor. A soldier needs weapons. But one commentator said it this way, if you give a normal person armor and weapons with zero training, they can in no way be called a soldier. Soldiers have been trained to act a certain way in certain situations with certain weapons. We just spent the last three weeks talking about three different scenarios in which Paul talks about us being trained to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you remember what they were? Our marriages, our parenting, and our workplace. And we mentioned that even if you aren't married, even if you aren't parents, and even if right now you're not working, Paul is just giving examples that every single minute of every single day is never wasted by the Holy Spirit to train soldiers. Training wherein you're either being trained to be a soldier of the living God or something else. You're either conforming your life more and more to him, his image, being more truthful, more righteous, evangelizing more, strengthening your own faith, reminding yourselves of salvation, saturating ourselves in the word of God, or you're being formed to be something else. We are not soldiers because we've been given this armor and weapon. Because we are soldiers, we make good use of the best armor and the best weapons we could have ever hoped to have been given. We no longer look at these things that make us vulnerable in the world, but we look at these things as the very things that are going to make us strong. When we're confronted with those moments about whether or not I should be truthful, we go, God told me that I should be truthful and I trust his words for what is best for my life or for what is right or for my faith. 
I trust in the faith that Jesus has redeemed me from these sins that are besetting me and seemingly getting in on all, to- on all sides. Because of the transformation that we have in Jesus Christ, we now see our God-given armor and weapons for what they really are. Not things to be loosely discarded on the ground, but things to be uh, put on and worn every single minute of every single day. Now, there's a third thing uh, that we have to reconsider about our lives, our enemies, um, our armor and our weapons, uh, but also our goals of this life. Look with me at verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am, I am an, an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. The goal that we now have in our lives, despite whatever our goals might have been about success in our profession or a certain life we wanted to achieve um, or just certain goals we wanted to achieve, the, the goal that, that supersedes all of those is perseverance in prayer. Now, I want to be careful here because maybe in the context of like the enemy and the weapons, you're hearing this perseverance in prayer as like some idea that we're supposed to like uh, hole up in a bomb shelter in like fear and trembling. And like, that's where we do our perseverance in prayer. But that's, that's not actually uh, the imagery that Paul wants you to have. Uh, he wants you to have more of like a soldier who's in a long, drawn-out battle, but knows that the decisive battle has already been won. Now they're just kind of cleaning up the extra pieces in the world. But yet we recognize that this battle's not going to be over tomorrow. Or next week, or sh- I mean, should the Lord tarry, it's not going to be over tomorrow. If he comes back, it is. Full disclosure. But it's not going to be over tomorrow. Uh, next week, uh, or even maybe many years from now. Again, God's time horizon is wildly different than ours. And so what we do for perseverance is we root ourselves with, these, with this armor and these weapons, with these realities of who our enemy, are, en- enemy is and enemies are, and we say to ourselves, I need Jesus. The people next to me in this church need Jesus. My family members need Jesus. They need the armor and they need the sword to be able to stand firm in these days until the battle is won. We need a resoluteness of mind to not give up and not give in despite the feeling of normalcy that might come in our everyday battle. Because let's be honest, if we do this for our entire lives like Christians have done up until this point, this battle is going to start feeling real normal. We're going to probably start to wonder whether or not there's even a battle going on at all in all prayer and supplication, that we would stay on mission, that we would stay on mission. No matter the circumstances, whether we are successful or whether we are in jail, just just to remind you, do, do you know where Paul is when he's writing this letter? He's in prison, house arrest, probably chained to a Roman guard. You know what he's asking for prayer for? Boldness to proclaim the gospel. To whom? His Roman guard? He's asking that he might take every opportunity available to him, whether it's writing letters or whether it's the people coming uh, to visit him or it's the Roman guard changing out on his shifts. Wherever God has placed me, my entire life ought to be a moment for the proclamation of his kingdom. Now, don't get me wrong. This kind of proclamation, I'm not, necess- I'm not simply talking about um, 
formal evangelism or formal apologetics in this sense. I'm talking about every single action that you do in your life, seen or unseen, declaring the kingdom has come here and now to all of creation, which is why Paul could talk about it being in your marriages, in your parenting, and in your workplace. It can be in your garden and in your house and in repairing plumbing issues like I had to do this week. It can be in the difficult conversations with family and the losses of loved ones. It can be in jail or in prison. It can be on the battlefield. It can be in the middle of the ocean. Wherever you are, you as a citizen, as a soldier of God's kingdom, are besieged by Paul to continue prayer and supplication that his kingdom might be announced in all of creation. Now, um, I've talked about these three things that need to be transformed. Uh, and basically up to this point, I've said uh, that we can't do it. <laughs> uh, we can't, um, we, we can't, we can't like correctly even fathom the danger that we are in of our own enemies, even the danger from ourselves. Uh, we, we blatantly disregard the armor and the weapons that we're given. Uh, and then when the moment comes for prayer, I don't know about you, uh, but prayer is just one of those parts of my life that I always feel weak in. Like no matter how hard uh, and consistently I'm practicing on trying to get better, it just never quite feels like I'm, I'm necessarily getting any stronger. I know that I am, but I just know that it doesn't look like Jesus' prayer. So how exactly are we supposed to do this? Again, we have to go back to verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. There's something interesting about this list of armor and weapons. It's usually where we focus on this passage. All of these words are descriptors used of Jesus. He is the truth, the way and the life. He is righteousness. He is the good news of the gospel in and of himself. He is the faithful one, the one that brings salvation. He is the word of God incarnate. Come to us to transform us from the inside out. The one, in some sense, who has entered into our DNA and changed everything about us so that we now make appropriate use of the armor and weapons around us. So that we now see our enemies for what they really are. We now understand just how desperately we need Jesus. This transformation that we're speaking of uh, isn't as simple as taking a red pill or a blue pill. It isn't waking up to some conspiracy theories happening all around you, although to be sure this enemy is working in this world. It isn't in some super flashy, super spiritual actions that shock and awe you. This transformation is nothing less than taking you who were dead to be alive and to look like Jesus. The one who always did what was right, always told the truth, was always faithful, never disregarded salvation, never failed at the task set before him, was always praying with all supplication for himself, for others, and that the kingdom might be proclaimed. He is the one that transforms us from the inside out. Now we're concluding our sermon series on Ephesians, and through all of the flowery language of Ephesians, this death to life, this uh, darkness and light language, if you were to read back through it, I would encourage you to do so. Um, it's not very long. It wouldn't take you very long to read through it. Uh, as you read through it, you would see these themes repeated over and over and over again, that Jesus is the only one. And then here at the end of the letter, what he's saying is it's just so profound that Jesus could take something like you and make you truthful. That Jesus could take something like you and make you faithful. 
that Jesus could take something like you and teach you to appreciate salvation and not run headlong into sin. That Jesus could take something like you and cause you to cherish the words of God, which all of humanity, for all of creation, has only disdained. This is what Jesus does. When you've been made alive by Jesus, when you've, uh, the Holy Spirit has regenerated you from, uh, from the inside out, Jesus is, is altering your DNA, you no longer see your enemies as you once did, as, um, as formidable things that were never going to be conquered, but those that were conquered by Jesus. You see the armor and weapons around you, um, not as something that God's waiting to see if you're going to pick up and use appropriately, but things that have already been used appropriately on your behalf by the one who had the power to do it. And because he's already won uh, the decisive battle, you now look at how he did it and you go, these are clearly the weapons and tools that I need. And as you see how Jesus prayed and what he prayed for and the goal of his entire life, you say, that has to be the goal of my entire life. No matter what I'm called to do day to day, of course we have all of our jobs and um, um, occupations uh, and, and callings that God has given us, but in all of those callings, it is all formed and shaped to point towards Jesus in the proclamation of his kingdom with all truth, with all righteousness, in our marriages, in our parenting, and in our workplaces. When we have been transformed from the inside out, we have participated in the very life of Jesus Christ himself. That's why in baptism we say that you have been crucified and buried with Jesus and you've been resurrected into new life. Participated into the story of Jesus. Jesus wanted us to understand this reality, not just audibly, not just logically, but experientially. He wanted us to so participate in his body and his blood that he gave us a meal to symbolize what this is like. The night that Jesus sacrificed himself for us so that we might taste truth and righteousness. That very night, he took bread and he broke it. And he turned and he gave it to his disciples as I ministering in his name, now give it to you. And Jesus said to them, take this bread and eat it This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, and after he had blessed it and given thanks, he said to his disciples, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for the remission of the sins of many. Take and drink. Do this in remembrance of me. This is the most true story. This is a declaration of what is most true about our lives. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as the invitation stands to come and participate in his body and his blood, it also comes with a warning. For those of you who uh, have not committed your life to Christ or not a part of his body in baptism, um, we would ask you to refrain from this meal because Jesus himself gives this warning. He says that it is dangerous for you to partake of these elements and to declare something with your outward actions that is not an inward reality. And so we'd ask you to refrain from this meal. But please don't leave. Make use of the prayer in your bulletin. Uh, This doesn't take too long. We're going to sing a song and then we're going to have some coffee after. Love to have you stay. If you've got any questions on how to be a member or questions about what was said today or what the body and the blood of Christ mean, talk to me or any of our staff members. Our contact information is in the bulletin. We would love to answer those questions for you. In a moment, I will pray, and then we can come down the center aisle, and we can go to this uh, serving station over here or right here. Um, this serving station uh, has a gluten-free option available, so if you require that, you're going to want to go that way. 
And then there is red wine and clear grape juice. Please take according to your conscience. If you would, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we need to be transformed by the body and the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we need the story of your redemption to enter into our very DNA so that we might be transformed from the inside out. Holy Spirit, we need to be awakened to the severity of our enemies, to the power of our God-given armor and weapons, and to stay on mission no matter the circumstance. Triune God, transform these common elements to their supernatural purpose this morning so that we might be reminded that this world is not as it seems, but that we are truly alive by the strength of your might. Amen.